Now we have 30 years of longevity bonus and nobody saw it coming. No one prepared for it. None of our policies support longevity. We're still stuck back in the, the 1909 where we set 65 as pension age. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Deneef, and today we're talking to Professor Laurie Byers. Laurie is a professor of health and behavioural sciences at the University of Queensland and is the former national president of the Australian Association of Gerontology. Her most recent research and work has focused on longevity and how we can deliver better social and economic outcomes for everyone by focusing our attention on products, services and policies for people over 65. This was a really interesting conversation as Laurie is really passionate about breaking down traditional barriers of age and examining how we can be valuable contributors to society long past the so-called retirement age. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Professor Laurie Byers. Laurie, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. We're very happy to have you. Could we start with a bit about you and, and your background? Sure. I guess there's two things about me. One is that um, I am the a professor at the University of Queensland, and I'm also the director of the Healthy Aging Initiative there, which is bringing together researchers and industry and government to address issues around longevity, aging, aged care, and all sorts of everything, all aging. But there's, I guess, there's also about me as a person. I came from a very small rural town in West Virginia in America, and that town was the center of the area, and we only had 4,000 people. Mm-hmm. And so it was agriculture and farming and so forth. And I grew up in a town where everyone had a role, everyone had a job, and everyone had a purpose, regardless of how old you are. Mm. So I had no idea that older people were a burden or a problem until I came to Australia. When I married an Australian, we came to Australia many years ago. My mother-in-law said to me that she didn't want to become a burden on our family, and I had absolutely no idea what she was talking about. Like, literally had no idea. And so um, having lived here for now for 30-some years, I, I understand that. And it's really interesting how we actually contextualize the people around us and the roles that they play, and it has a real bearing on then how we as a society value people. So when I first came to Australia, I was working in in Adelaide as a rehab Uh counsellor and was getting injured workers back to work. And for some reason, all of a sudden, I started getting all the injured workers who were over 50. And I was getting the same referral from the doctors and the employer and the union for the same person. And what I realized in hindsight, it was because I had no idea that the person was too old to go back. I just was like, well, he's 50, 
age wasn't an issue. He had an injury or she had an injury. So let's get them, let's get them all back to work because that was what was good for them. It was good for the organization and good for everyone. So I was very successful at getting people back to work. And so looking back on that, that has set my whole world and my whole outlook on life is that we have intrinsic value for our whole life. Mm-hmm. Up until the day we take our last breath, we have intrinsic value and can contribute. So that kind of is about where I'm coming from in terms of the things that I research and, and the lens that I use. Yeah, that's really great context. And if we could just ask about the, your time in West Virginia and you're talking about the older adults there having roles in society and and being actively involved in the community, what sorts of things did you see your parents and grandparents and and older adults doing then? I guess it's around about how the community functions. And Mm -hmm. there's a difference between having a paid job and having occupation. Not everyone had a paid job throughout their whole life, but everyone had occupation. So that um, if there was a wedding or a funeral or a birth or a death, There was everyone pitching in to give a hand, um, cooking or looking after kids or taking care of one another. If we needed snow shoveling or we needed um, the cows brought in for milking, various things were done by various people. When I was in kindergarten, I would always walk home. We walked home for a couple of miles and you knew who to stop to, whose houses, where you could get lunch, where you could get cookies made, who was going to look after you. And my parents always knew who to call mm. along that pathway to figure out where we were. <laughs> so it's actually around everyone pitching in to make that community, that community a community. Everyone pitches in to do whatever needs to be done for the communities to survive. So it ranged from doing a day job basically to pitching in when a neighbor needed it. Mm. And so everyone had a job and everyone's job was to raise children and everyone's job was to also look after each other. So if someone was older and had an injury, everyone pitched in to give a hand, but that person was then expected to get better and pitch in again. So again, it's your mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And jumping forward to your time in South Australia, working in rehab there, if you're being referred clients who might be deemed too old to go back to work, as they might have said, you must have been encountering some attitudes in the, the clients themselves that they might have had some, some hopelessness or some kind of unwillingness to, to go back. What was that like? Well, I was in my early 20s and oblivious mm. to, <laughs> to people telling me that they were old because it just didn't compute. But you're absolutely right. There was quite a few people who had drunk the Kool-Aid, that they were too old, um, I'm 50, I can't go back. And and I just remember saying, why? What has age got to do with it? You're healthy, you're fit, you've got more to contribute, you can do your job. And so it really was those conversations. And I think it was because I didn't know, I didn't have the context of believing them when they said that they were too old. I was like, ha, 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 and I moved on. Mm. And so it was that bit of naivety, I think, that helped get through that and not understand that those conversations meant a deep embedded belief about themselves. But the good thing is by the time we were finished working together, because I often worked with the people for three, four or five months, they'd lost that view of themselves and they were back on track and saw a future for themselves. They thought of it because we contextualized it around not only the work that they were doing, but their lives that they were leading. Mm-hmm. 
And so it was much better for them to go back to work and, and then have that very active life. So I only had one person who didn't go back to work and it, that was not a good outcome for him, which I was very, very sad about. But he made that decision and there was nothing I could at the end do about it. But in the end, he became a 52-year-old who sat down and did nothing for the rest of his life. I mean, you've got a long way to go from 52. You're not in the home stretch you yet. You certainly do. Well, there's one term actually I discovered in researching for this interview, the longevity bonus. Could you explain what this means? That's a really interesting concept. Back in 1909 was when the, the government introduced the age pension. Mm-hmm. And it was introduced because of issues of long life and people needing support in their very old age. And back in 1909, the life expectancy was 53. Wow. And the age pension came in at 65. So that was a 12-year gap from, so your life expectancy was 53 and, yeah, 65 was set as the age pension. So if you fast forward to 2021, The life expectancy is 83 Mm. and our pension age is 67. Mm. So all of our attitudes, all of the things that we set back in 1909 really haven't changed. Our view is still that people are old and frail and a burden. It was set back in 1909. Mm. So now if we had the same, if it was on the same calculation, what it would really mean is that we wouldn't have pension age until 95. Wow. So we have now we have 30 years of longevity bonus and nobody saw it coming. No one mm. prepared for it. None of our policies support longevity. We're still stuck back in the, the 1909 mm-hmm. where we set 65 as pension age. Wow, so there's these extra years of of life that we can tap into here. What are some of the opportunities that this period could represent? Well, where do we start? (laughs) (laughs) It means that you've got 30 more years to have an amazing life. So people can continue doing all the things that they love doing. There's no reason to say at 65 things are going to change. Um, if there's opportunities to live, learn, work and play. Uh, what it does do is it challenges a number of assumptions. So if when I turned 60, if I decided I wanted a different career, um, people might say, why would you go back to uni to just study a three-year degree? Well, actually, a three-year degree to get 20 more years mm. of work is actually not a bad investment. Mm-hmm. So we have to change our how we see the world in terms of what is value. So it does challenge when when do you stop learning? Basically, you can learn for the rest of your life. And at 60, if I choose to, I would to retire, but I guess we want to cha- challenge that term retirement so that what we would think about is I want to change career. Mm-hmm. So anyone can stop work, but what we want to be able to do is have choices. So it's choices throughout our life so that we may want part-time work, we might want different kinds of work, or we might want occupation rather than work. So -hmm. what it does is it opens up a conversation around how do we have a really meaningful life up until we die, basically. And that life is much longer. So we have to build that infrastructure that allows us to 
live, learn, work, and play much, much longer. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the idea of transitioning into a different idea of work. I remember several years ago, they changed the retirement age from 65 to 67. And I remember hearing some people a bit older than me complaining that I'll be working forever now and they're going to keep pushing it back. The retirement age will be 80 before long. But this idea of, of what retirement means, the traditional notion of that's it, you stop being productive or you stop earning an income, that doesn't necessarily need to be the case. Have you found that over 65s as a whole, through research or, or however, want to continue working? It's really interesting. The whole concept of retirement, when we asked, oh gosh, we asked thousands of people to talk about what was important in their life and the word retirement hardly ever came up, mm-hmm. ever. And when what we, in our research is when we, people talked about retirement, it was people normally in their 40s and 50s. Mm. And it was, and what we found, it was actually synonymous with, I've had a really bad day and I want to do something different. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm, I'm tired of what I'm doing and I want to stop. And in 65, or retirement is a way of an acceptable transition. Mm. It's an acceptable way of getting out of doing what you're doing. Anyone can quit work. If you're rich enough or whatever at 30, you can stop work. Mm-hmm. But you might, but if you're a 30 year old, we might think, okay, well, if you don't like what your current job at 30, think about what else you might want to do. And so we really do need to have that same mindset at any age. And so if you want to stop doing what you're doing, retirement's not exactly an answer for that. It's going to be more important to think about, okay, if I don't want to do this, what else do I want to do? Mm. So it was really an aspirational thing for people who were 40s and 50s. It was kind of the goal. But what we did find is the people who were over 65, they never talked about retirement. And in fact, what they talked about is the jobs they were doing, the things they wanted to do. Quite a number of people talked about that they were unemployed, not retired, but they called themselves retired because that was, in fact, more acceptable um, and that they wanted to work. So what we found is that people over 60, what they wanted was options Uh so that you could choose to work for, for pay or you could choose a variety of different kinds of working styles or you could choose an occupation that was equally as valued but may not, you may not um, get work, you may not get money for it, like pro bono work or something mm-hmm. like that. So uh, what we found is that people want options. So really the only people who wanted to retire were people in the 40s and 50s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see maybe it's been held as this pot of gold at the end of a difficult stretch of working if you're not enjoying what you're doing. Um, this idea of, you know, giving people options and, and changing the the attitude towards retirement, I imagine there's a lot of education needed, not just for people who are entering into that period of their life and, and saying well, there are options, but also in employers and, and organizations that are providing opportunities. How do you start this sort of education piece and this culture change piece? Yeah, I think that is a, a big challenge. And what we do know is that no one likes to be educated. <laughs> no one likes to be taught anything. So that if we are going to have a different future, it has to be a journey that we come on together. Mm. So it would need to be a collaboration between 
people and employers and governments and so forth. I guess it's around changing the way we see age, mm. but in a way to where you we explore value and opportunities and looking to see how we can make businesses and organizations grow and benefit as opposed to just the traditional lens of you need you need fresh people coming in. Mm -hmm. You might need fresh people, but fresh people isn't based on age. And there's a a number of um, industries that are suffering at the moment because of COVID because they they rely on the immigration coming in. Mm -hmm. And that's a great opportunity to really rethink having our own skill base here within Australia and making the most of a group of people that could actually fill that skill shortage There's a a lot of very skilled people. So if you remove the age issue, their value all of a sudden becomes quite apparent. Uh So it will be a journey. It'll be a journey that we need to take together so that it becomes something that isn't an education, but it's it's an experience. You're listening to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. And we want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers, especially those people who've shared this podcast with a friend or colleague. Because of you, we've just entered the top 50 mental health podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and we're one of the fastest growing health podcasts in Australia. We're looking to take the Age Care Enrichment Podcast to the next level by partnering with great organizations to showcase their message with our rapidly growing audience of aged care executives and people working within the industry. If you'd like to discuss what an advertising opportunity with our podcast can mean for your business, send us an email. We're at acepodcast at silveradventures.com.au. That's S-I-L-V-R adventures. Remember, there's no E in there. Now let's get back to this week's guest. Can you give us a few examples of what a flexible work or engagement environment might look like in this sort of situation? A flexible work environment can take a lot of different shapes and there's not going to be any one size fits all Mm -hmm. for that environment. In talking about the journey, this is where it's really important. There's no silver bullet if the organization can come together with its employees and have a really good conversation and a creative way of approaching things and look to see how they get great outcomes for that particular organization, it means you come up with things that you may not have already thought about. So we could list, you know, like part-time job sharing, all that sort of thing, but that doesn't actually work unless it's embedded within a culture of people working together and valuing the things that they bring. So I would say that what needs to happen within organizations, it is that culture conversation needs to occur and looking to see what they're wanting to achieve and asking their employees what might work and how and and bringing the, the experience and the skills within that organization to the front. It'll be amazing what comes out. And it also becomes a a building, a capacity building conversation for that organization. What we do know is that the most innovative and the most engaged organizations that have a much longer tenure have an intergenerational workforce. Mm. 
they have people that are have different perspectives, have different skill bases, and can bring those conversations. An example of that is a few years ago, we ran an intergenerational powerhouse, a one-day charrette or a design jam. Mm -hmm. And we had about 10 teams and we had three generations, the young, middle and the older, and people self-selected into those generations. We (laughs) We didn't actually say who was what age, we just let them select. And then we did, we did actually put them on the tables. But what was particularly interesting is that three of the tables ended up being single generation. There was a table of young people, middle-aged people and older people. And the other seven were mixed and they got to choose what their topic was. So some of the topics were energy or water or housing or could have been whatever they want, and they were to create something pretty exciting. Uh-huh. What was super interesting was that the seven tables were jamming. They were, they, they were we had to tell them to be quiet a little bit because we're all in one room because they were just getting so excited and they were bouncing ideas and there was so much energy in the room. The, the facilitators, we spent all of our time with the three single generation tables oh. because there was conflict, they couldn't get their act together in the end. They didn't even present anything. Wow. Whereas the, the seven tables that were intergenerational had an amazing idea and I think a couple of them are still going and actually have pursued it because they had different perspectives, people asking different questions, different outlooks. And they were able to really come together and bond as a team. And we had a, a few drinks afterwards at the end of it. And it was fabulous to see how the teams have bonded. And you know how you normally have little groups of people. These groups were intergenerational groups all chatting about what oh. they did. So age became no, it just wasn't there within those groups. And we took a couple of pictures and we really analyzed it to see that when you put people together and you give them a goal and they achieve the goal together, age is just not there. It's not an issue. Mm. And people bring those insights. So, and that's what happens in workforces. If you engage and value and really bring to the fore what people can do, you're going to have a much more engaged workforce. Yeah, fantastic. And following on from the charrette there, something you've been working on recently is the CRC longevity. And I know at the time of recording, the outcome of this is is still unknown, but could you give our listeners just a little bit of an idea if they don't know what a CRC is and and what the goals are of CRC longevity? Sure. A a CRC is short for a cooperative research Mm centre and it's a Commonwealth scheme and it's, it kind of is what its name is. It's a cooperative research centre. So it brings together industry and it's industry-led. So it's industry and researchers and government. And so industry contribute cash, universities contribute cash, and then the government matches that cash. Mm-hmm. So it's to tackle big issues and it's to create... Um, new opportunities for industry and to really to leverage what's happening in industry in Australia. So clearly um, longevity is a big topic and a big issue. So what we've done is we've got 91 partners, which is around eight, eight university partners, and then the others are all industry and government. 
to come together to really think differently about about longevity and about building the infrastructure for people to age well across their lifetime. So the reason we called it longevity is that you don't just arrive at 65 and wake up one day and say, I'm 65, I guess you do, but you bring everything with you. Mm. So what we want to do is really start looking back at from 30 and take it as a life course perspective. And so to look to see how we bring together, how we can build that infrastructure so that people are able to maximize their capacities and their value and bring it to Australia over their lifetime. Uh So we build a lot of infrastructure for kids, schools and playgrounds and sports and so forth. And we build a lot of infrastructure for working age people, which is how Australia defines that is about 15 to 65. But there's no infrastructure now for extending out past 65. So if we start to build an infrastructure that's not for an age group, but actually extends people's ability to engage throughout their life, then we change that mindset. So a lot of it will be building new products and services, we'll be building and creating new ways of thinking with the employment that we just talked about. So this, what it does is it brings together that partnership so that we can have that journey. Mm-hmm. So the CRC longevity aims to leverage the bonus of that 30 years and to ignite that longevity economy and create options and possibilities for people while leveraging great outcomes for industry. Because as we all know, industry does well when there's products and services that we want. Mm. So by doing good business, it means that organizations can do well too. And that's kind of a partnership between the organization and their customer. So the organizations deliver products and services and things that we want and we purchase them and everyone's, it, it, and it works well. So what we want to do is really change that mindset and deliver options for the future. Great. And having such a heavy industry involvement there kind of indicates that you're looking at it uh, through the lens of people in this longevity bonus period are also consumers and that maybe we can move away from the traditional notions of they have someone caring for them once they're over that age. But there's, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole swath of, of needs and, and desires for people in this age bracket that can be met through industry. Absolutely. We're all consumers. Hmm. And by changing that, that mindset from being cared for to supporting me and me being someone who purchases that support changes that value. And it changes how those products and services are delivered. So I think that really is the goal is to create products and services that I as an older person want Mm -hmm. and I will purchase them. And I have value as a consumer and it's to really value people. So it's, it's not only to value their skills, but it's to value them as, as consumers, which is, I guess, an extension of what is, has occurred throughout your whole life. Yeah, it's kind of like trying to knock down that hard limit that this kind of self-imposed wall at 65 or 67 doesn't actually mean anything. We can just do away with that and, and smooth over those, those gaps there. And Laurie, we're, we're almost out of time, but I want to quickly touch on some research you've been doing recently. I, I know that you've been looking at senior living innovation Can you tell us a bit about that research? Sure. We did three things. We collected data 
I guess, in the general public over a, a weekend and I guess we talked to thousands of people about what they wanted. They entered a little area and came and did some activities with us. Then we also did a social media scan and looked to see what people are talking about. And then we had an online group of about 100 people that we ran over a week. And so with 100 people, you can't have them in one in one kind of room. It's just too hard to have those conversations. So we divided them into 35 in each group. So over a week, we set some activities to do for them to talk about, but it wasn't necessarily about aging, just about life in general. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that the most important thing for people, and it was 50 to 100 was the people that we talked to. The single most important was occupation. Hmm. Having a valued role in life was the most important aspect of, of people's life. And that role or that valued job that they had was different for different people, but it was a common theme. It was, and I guess we've talked about it before and um, people are talking about, it gives you a reason to get up. So everyone needs to be valued. Everyone wants to be valued. So in conjunction with that, it meant that there needed to be reciprocal relationships. Nobody wanted to be cared for, but people wanted to be in, in reciprocal relationships. So everyone needs care at some point in time in their life. We all need care. Some of us have care. We have cleaners who come in and provide that service for us. We go to doctors. We, there's those caring relationships that go both ways throughout our whole life. Hmm. So when we grow older, nobody that's what we want to continue. So it's a reciprocal relationship. So that if I need care when I'm 75 or 80, I want to be able to give care to someone else Mm -hmm. or I want to have that relationship. So having reciprocal relationships and being able to be cared for, but also to care is critically important. And then that leads on to the importance of multi-generational relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's about having that network of people around you that are of different ages, different abilities, different skills that can contribute to your life to make your, so that you have a very vibrant life. So living in a community where my mother-in-law used to live, she was 85 and was a great baker. Mm -hmm. And next to her were some young boys at university. So she knew that if she needed something done in her house, all she needed to do was catch them when they were coming in with a plate of biscuits. <laughs> and so they got their biscuits and she got their her light changed. Yeah. So it's about reciprocal and, and it's about that multi-generational environment. And then older people also wanted to live in vibrant community or um, environments. So things happening. So it's not just young people that want cool things in their community. It's people of all ages. So it's having opportunities to engage in arts and sports and culture and just doing great things throughout their life. So those are probably the key things we found. It was that, um, yeah, the value of, of occupation, really wanting to be valued, reciprocal relationships, multi-generational environments, and also vibrant communities. Yeah. And I like that this really ties back into what you were saying before, because all those things enhance your life no matter what stage of life you're at. And that is absolutely Absolutely. The key to longevity is just don't worry about age, just worry about your life Mm. and having a great one. Perfect. Well, Laurie, that's a fantastic note to end on. Is Is there anything else you want to cover before we go or shall we leave it there? 
No, I think that's all. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out how immersive virtual reality experiences can enrich the lives of older adults, visit the Silver Adventures website today at www.silver.com.au. See you next week.